Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this first half hour is Peter Malouk. Uh, he is a lawyer, an MBA, a certified financial planner, and the author of a new book called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, good to be with you, Jordan. Let's just start with your background a little bit. We gave some of your pedigree, but kind of give us your background and how you came to writing this book. Well, you know, I, I started working with uh, other firms. I, I was an estate planning attorney, and I'd go to other financial advisors, and I'd help them put together estate plans for their higher net worth clients. And I really got to see how the whole industry works, going from one firm to another uh, all day long. And then along the way, I started taking care of some of the clients for one of the firms. And from there, I... I bought the firm, and I decided to have a firm that did everything in one place, the legal, the investments, the tax, and so on. Well, what I found was, because our typical clients, kind of the millionaire next door or multimillionaire next door, about nine out of ten of those clients were terminating another advisor to come over. Uh, or they were coming over, the remaining one in ten, because things hadn't worked out so well for them. And there were common themes that were developing of what the problems were, that caused these people to come to us. And it was basically a list of mistakes. And I, I basically view the markets, as I'm sure we'll talk about, they, they generally work themselves out. And when you hear that somebody didn't do well, it's usually a mistake they made themselves or their advisor made. And this book kind of chronicles how to avoid those, those pitfalls. So you're basically an efficient market theorist, I guess is the way to put it. You believe that in indexing and, and not market timing and those kind of things. This goes against what everybody is saying now. I mean, Jim Cramer and you're seeing newsletters and uh, all these money managers say they can beat the market and these hedge funds taking these big fees. Everybody out there is saying you're wrong. Why is it that you're right and everybody else is wrong? <laughs> That's right. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Well, I'll give you a, kind of two ways of looking at it. One is if you're at a party with somebody, and you hear, oh, I, I haven't recovered since 9-11, or ever since the tech bubble, I've never gone back in because I lost everything, or oh, 8 9 really wiped me out. My question to that is, well, how is that even possible, right? The market, no matter which of those, if you did the day be- you invested the day before the tech bubble, the day before 9-11, the day before 8 9 you could not lose money. It was impossible. The market went up. The question is, how much money have you made? So you know, one thing is just looking at just the everyday carnage, which is kind of anecdotal, but about the evidence, I think, is the other side of it. I talk about Jim Cramer in my book specifically, and I use some very high-profile examples that I think are very, very loud and very vocal about how great they are at stock picking. But when you really look at the evidence, they're not beating the market. In fact, they're losing to the market quite handily, and that's before you take into account transaction fees uh, and... and um, and costs and taxes. And so if you look at the evidence, we know that, take mutual funds, for example, it's a fact that in any given year, about three and four, three out of four do worse than the market. And it's a fact that when you stretch that out over 10 years, about nine out of 10 do worse than the market. In other words, if you're not outperforming to begin with, just keep trading and market timing, and eventually we know you'll underperform. You look over to hedge funds like, like you brought up, in the last eight years, seven of the eight years, hedge funds have underperformed the S&P 500. That's a pretty tough thing to do. I mean, the, the last eight years have been horrible on the whole for the, for the market. The last few years have been good. But on the whole, 
it's a pretty bad time to do worse than the market. And I always love the hedge fund guys then come back and say, well, I'm not trying to beat the market. Well, I'm like, well, that's news to your investors because I can assure you that when I meet them, that's why they were investing with you. So, so this well, you is might true, hear somebody it, here or there say they're beating it. As a group, they're, they're not doing that at all. So if this is true, that hedge funds are not being the market, actively managed funds are not being the market, newsletters are not being the market, Jim Cramer's not being the market, why is it that there's so much money in them? I mean, hedge funds particularly, I mean, these are very expensive funds. The most sophisticated investors out there, pension funds, insurance companies, are, are using them. Is everybody a complete idiot in the world and you're the only one who's, who's got it right? No, most people are complete idiots. I'm not the only one that has it. I'm not the only one that has it completely right. There are, I think, thousands of people uh, in my camp. You're right that there are tens of thousands, if not millions, uh, in the other camp. But I would tell you that it's, it's, this is an industry that's rigged against the American people. And I'm not saying that as kind of a flag-waving populist or anything like that. It's just an industry that's rigged. If you go to a doctor, the doctor has an incentive to make you better. And if you go to a, a lawyer, the lawyer's gone to law school, just like the doctor went to medical school, and they've got an incentive to win, right? And if you go to an architect or an engineer, they don't want their building to, to fall apart or their bridge to... I mean, there's, they're aligned with you somewhat. When you go to a financial advisor, there is no alignment, okay? 90% of advisors are not a fiduciary. They have no legal responsibility to act in your best interests. And then what are they going to do? They're going to try to sell you on the idea that they can beat the market. Because if they're honest with you and they tell you, hey, I can't beat the market, they feel like they have nothing to sell. And I think if you're Jim Cramer and you go, look, hey, what I'm doing is not working. Barron's did a long study on me and documented clearly that I'm underperforming the market. Um, but I'm still going to do this show anyway. Who's going to watch the show? If you're you know, Fox Business Network and you say, hey, guess what? There's really nothing to talk about today because no matter how much information we give you, if you act on it, you're probably going to do more damage to your portfolio than good. Who's going to watch? So whatever you're watching, whatever you're reading, whoever you're going to see, they have an incentive to make you think that, you're, that, that you are dependent on them. And you're not. The, the reality is if you just own various markets, I'm not saying just go buy the S&P 500, emerging markets, international markets, real estate market. If you just own those things, you'll be fine. If you look at 2000 to 2010, Jim Cramer, you know, who he referenced a couple times, said it was proof that buy and hold is dead. And I agree with Jeremy Siegel, who said it was the dumbest thing he's ever heard somebody say. And if you look at 2000 to 2010, the S&P 500 was flat, but small cap U.S., mid cap U.S. were up. International was up. Emerging markets was up. Real estate was up. Energy was up. It was impossible to lose money in what was one of the worst decades ever to invest if you just had a basic allocation and followed basic rebalancing principles. And most of this other stuff is crap. And when you look at, say, California, the largest pension fund in the country, they did a study on all of their investments. And what did they find? They found all their research, all the consultants, all the hedge funds they used, they'd been paying for underperformance. And they, started and they just, to they just dropped, more dropped their hedge funds, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Peter Malouk. Uh, he's come out with a new book called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. And we'll be back after this.
Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m., 10 Central, every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Peter Malouk. He's the author of a new book called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Good to be back. Thanks. And just give us the website people can find out more about the book. The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes.com. And how about the website for your own firm? Thinkingbeyond.com. And what do you mean by thinking beyond? What, what is the purpose of that? Or what, what well, that I mean, mean, the idea is that a lot of people really get bogged down in uh, you know, very much the minutia of investing, like which gold mining stock should I own, when really they should be asking, should I own gold at all? You know, 88% of the return is going to come from the asset class. Uh, so if you've got a gold mutual fund, a gold hedge fund, a gold ETF, you're going to get about the same outcome. And so people really... I think when investing, they're focused on the wrong things. We're trying to get them to think about taxes and estate planning and asset protection and bigger picture things that drive more of the after-tax return. How do you get the correct asset allocation? Say you want to do what you're advising, which is to do a bunch of index funds and hold them for the long term. Yeah. Uh, how do you get the correct asset allocation based on your age and risk tolerance? Well, that's a, I love the question because it has part of the answer in it, which is, I don't really care that much about the client's age, and I really don't care that much about their risk tolerance. The, I think those are the wrong ways to pick uh, asset classes, and that's how most money managers pick them. They say, okay, when are you retiring, and we're going to put you in this, or you're conservative, you're going to go in that. And really, we need, it needs to be needs-based. What are you trying to accomplish? When do you need this money? If you need money in the next two years, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your risk tolerance is. It better be in short-term bonds. If you need money in the next three to four years, don't care how old you are, don't care what your risk tolerance is, better be in intermediate-term bonds. If you need to outpace inflation for money to last for the rest of your life and you've got more than 10 years to go with part of that money, it better be in the stock market uh, because in the bond market, you're going to guarantee that you don't accomplish that. So I, I like to match the asset class to when the need is going to occur and then talk to clients, educate them, so that they accept the allocation that makes the most sense for them rather than the one they hear should be based on their age or, or based on how much risk they're willing to take. Yeah. So you have one of the big mistakes is market timing. Yeah. So uh, we've had these major upswings and downswings the last few years here. Yeah. What do most people do when they're trying to market time? I mean, it, emotionally, it's easy to buy high when things are up and sell yeah. low when they're down, but you don't make a lot of money that way. What is the, the right way to think about market timing? Well, I mean, to me, market timing is one of the very, very few things that you can just say categorically, this is stupid. Okay, you just should never, ever do it. And market timing is the idea of 
I'm going to go into the market, and well, now the market looks shaky. I'm going to go out of the market, and when it's stable, I'm going to go in the market. Or some people don't really do it, you know, that big and bold. Instead, they get a bonus and they wait until a optimal time to go in, or for Ebola to pass, or ISIS to get controlled, or Ukraine to figure itself out, or Europe's economic deal to work out. All of that's market timing. And if you look at the market, if you look forward 12 months from now, the odds of the market's going to be up are about 76%. And that's how it's going to be every year. And nobody knows where it's going to be. And anybody that tells you they know where it's going to be is either an idiot or a liar. Okay, they fall into one of those two camps. Nobody has any idea if the Dow is going to be 12 months from now 18,000 or if the Dow is going to be at 15,000. So we have to start by accepting that, that anybody that's telling us with any degree of certainty they know otherwise is incompetent. Okay, or dishonest. So once we know that, if I'm going to have a bonus every year, a big 401k contribution every year, I should just go in because I know over the next year the odds are three out of four I'll be right. Now, whether or not I'm right that year is irrelevant. The point is I'm going to make that decision 5, 10, 15 times for the, over the rest of my life. If I do it over and over again that way, I'm going to win. I'm going to come out ahead. And that's the key. And we can even look at those worst investors that invested before 08. They invested before 9-11, the tech bubble. They still today would have done better than CDs or cash or, or nothing at all. And so there's a there's big, a lot, big lot penalty of, for being on the sidelines. You say there's a lot of people that are misunderstanding performance. How are they misunderstanding performance of their investments? Well, I think that a lot of people don't understand where the performance comes from. So as an example, let's say that you've got a guy, a lot of people, I don't care how much money they have, how sophisticated they are, um, it's very normal if they don't understand markets for them to say, okay, I had this big event. I now have my $10 million or my $1 million or my $100,000. I'm going to hire two money managers and I'm going to see who does better over the next year and give them most of the money. Well, this makes no sense for a couple of reasons. Number one, in one year, anything that can happen. I mean, I can go buy hog futures and outperform the S&P 500 50-50 shot. You know, it's just going to be luck. One year is, is like one inning of baseball, saying I'm going to buy a, the team that's winning at the end of one inning. I mean, that's not how you make uh, decisions. You, you have to go through a whole game and in, in investing a minimum, minimum of five years to have any idea how anyone's uh, really doing. Uh, you really want to find a firm that matches or an advisor that matches a process that you believe in, you know, whether it's low taxes, low fees, things like that. You want to buy the process, not the outcome, over one year. Um, every now and then you see a quarterback throw a completely stupid pass where a very short, small probability of a completion, but the guy catches the ball. We don't go, hey, let's do that all the time. We go, well, boy, I'm glad that worked out, but that wasn't wise. You really just want to buy into a system rather than one very brief outcome. Now let's go back and say they've got these two managers, and one guy's uh, invested in international stocks, and the other guy's invested in U.S. stocks. Well, Year-to-date, and by the way, we're always invested in both, but year-to-date, the U.S. is up, and year-to-date, international is negative. So the guy who put a million dollars of each might say, well, the U.S. guy is really, really smart. I'm going to give him all my money. Well, what happens? Well, we know that these international and U.S. both wind up in the same place, so international then outperforms the U.S. Is it that the international guy suddenly became better? No, he's an international guy, and when international does well, he's going to do well. You have to judge, if you're going to judge the performance, you have to look at it over a long period of time and relative to what the manager does. Okay, so if, if you've got 30% of your portfolio in international stocks, measure that against the index over five years. 
If you got 20% in U.S. stocks, measure that against the index over five years. But that's just not how people do it. They really make a lot of mistakes in terms of, so you got people who think they're doing due diligence and they're actually creating more harm because they tend to go into asset with the manager that's outperformed recently, which is usually just because of the asset class they're in. A lot of the U.S. managers from last year look like geniuses. Right. You're just saying they're chasing performance, basically, and, and you're always late when you come in after it's already up a lot, whatever it may be. Especially if it's based on an asset, you know, what one asset class did. Yeah. Now, you also talk about working with advisors, and you say often people work with the wrong kind of advisor. How do you find the right kind of advisor who's taking the kind of approach that you're talking, taking here? Well, I talk in my book about a couple things that you can look at. Number one, I think there are independent advisors and there are brokers. And an independent advisor is an advisor who's going to get paid the same no matter what. Okay? So you may as well have an advisor that's not going to have a conflict. You don't go to a Honda dealership and ask the guy what kind of car to buy. But 90% of Americans go to a financial advisor who makes more money if they recommend one thing than another. It's like going to the Honda dealership and asking what car to buy. You shouldn't go to a broker and ask for investments. They're going to put you in investments that are owned by their parent company or a sister company or something like that. At a minimum... Do yourself a favor and put your life savings with somebody who at least by law has to act in your best interest and gets paid the same no matter what. That's a fiduciary or a registered independent advisor. And the way to know that is you can ask your advisor um, if they're governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission or FINRA. If it's the Securities and Exchange Commission, you're dealing with the right kind of advisor. Ask them if they've got the Series 7 if they do, then you're dealing with the wrong kind of advisor because that's an advisor that can get paid differently to sell you an investment product. I think then from there, you want to know what the philosophy is of the advisor and what kind of people do they work with. If you're, worth, if you're making 50000 a year and you're trying to figure out how to maximize Roths and 401ks and so on, you should be working with an advisor that works with people like you all the time. And if you're worth $3 million dollars, and you've got estate issues and tax issues, you're trying to control costs and so on, you should be working with the type of advisor that works with people like you all the time. You're going to get knee surgery, you go to a doctor that does knee surgery all the time. But there's something about financial advisors where we go with our buddy or the guy who's the most fun to be around or whatever. That's not the way to choose the financial advisor. Find somebody who works with people like you, who is a fiduciary, registered with the SEC, and gets paid the same no matter what, and has a philosophy that makes sense. Uh, that follows the pattern in the book we talk about. You have a whole chapter on what you call letting yourself get in the way. We can't go through all these kind of psychological techniques, but basically how do people get in the way of their own success when they're investing? Well, I think this is the biggest way people screw things up is, the, is this behavioral, um, behavioral mistakes that they made. Benjamin Graham's kind of the founder of fundamental investing. He didn't believe markets were efficient at all early in his career. Now, when he was closer to... Uh, when he was retired, he said the markets had become efficient. He didn't think he could really beat them anymore. But his famous quote, you know, when he was asked, what are the biggest mistakes people make? You know, everyone expected to be some kind of advice around analysis or, or the science of investing. And he said, uh, the investor's uh, chief enemy uh, is likely to be himself. In other words, them getting in their own way. You know, one of the examples I use in the book is confirmation bias, which Warren Buffett says, he falls prone to all the time. And it's our desire to basically find information. Um, If we believe something, we read up on information that substantiates what we believe. And we nod our heads yes when somebody reassures us about something we believe. And if we don't believe something, 
we don't read about it and we don't, we don't want to learn about it and we dismiss as incompetent or stupid anybody that disagrees with us. And if you don't think you're susceptible to that, if, for those of your listeners that are on the right side of the aisle, they're probably reading the Wall Street Journal and they go online to the Drudge Report and they watch Fox News. And those on the left side of the aisle, they're probably reading the New York Times and going to the Huffington Post online and watching MSNBC or, or CNN. And we tend to watch and read and look at things that reinforce the way that we feel and, and dismiss everything else. So as an investor, you know, Warren Buffett says, he never, when he has an investment, he doesn't go get a bunch of people to support what he's doing. He wants people to come in and tell him what is wrong, what, what, what do they disagree with, how is it that the companies he's investing in are going to fail. You want people to attack your ideas so that you can make sure that you're not falling prey to confirmation bias and just looking for things that reinforce the way you feel about things. That's, that sounds good. It's very difficult for people to do, I think. But it's, it's Yeah, a good I mean, idea. think about today, if, if instead of this, this time together, um, you, we had somebody on the show who was going to disagree with you on the three political issues you feel, you feel strongly about, you know, whatever they may be, you know, taxes, gun control, abortion, whatever, it doesn't matter if they're the top people in the world arguing the other side of how you feel. You're not changing your mind. I mean, we're all right about everything all of the time. You know, and that that's, can become a very, very problematic trait to bring into investing. In this case, you have the reality of the investment markets, which may not agree with you. I guess you <laughs> that's, uh, that's right. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been Peter Malouk. His new book is called The Five Mistakes Every Investor Makes and How to Avoid Them. There is a website for the book, which is the five mistakes every investor makes.com. You can also look at his website, which is thinkingbeyond.com. And thanks so much for being a guest on the website, on the, uh, the radio show today, Peter. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Jordan. Thank you. And we'll be back after the break with our next guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Bradley Williams. Uh, he is the president of Brad Williams Financial Services. Welcome back. Welcome to the show, Brad. Well, thank you for having me. Just give us a little bit of background about your uh, experience in the financial industry and what areas you specialize in. Well, I've got 27 years in the industry. Uh was a captive agent for many, but the last uh, really 15 I've been uh, independent and have focused um, primarily on retirement distribution planning, really help, helping people take all that they've done and all that hard work uh, and create a structured plan so they can um, you know, live the life they want and, and not outlive their money. So what is the state of people entering retirement today? Are most people in pretty good shape and they need help in kind of distributing it, or are a lot of people entering retirement with not enough money these days? Well, you know, there's a little of all. Uh, what, what I see in, in, mine, uh, in my practice is I've got a lot of people that have, have worked real hard to create you know, retirement savings, but they have no clue how to go about structuring it. How, how do I do this? Um, when do I take, take Social Security? Uh, you know, those, those type of questions. And then there are some that, that really haven't saved enough, and, and it's a matter of how do we adjust their lifestyle and, and adjust their goals to meet reality. So how do you do that? Let's say somebody comes into you, and they don't really have enough to work with. How do you adjust their lifestyle to meet reality, as you just put it? Well, it's a process. Uh, I use a, a pretty uh, intricate software system where we, we look at everything. And uh, uh, and it, the numbers come out the way the numbers come out, and you know it may be that uh, they need to work a little longer. Uh, may be that they need to um, to do some some type of job in retirement to make sure that they're not going in to their money too early. Because uh, you probably well know that uh, it's those earliest years that have, can have the most impact long term if you're taking too much out. I mean, one of the biggest problems for retirees today is that they keep their money safe in CDs and money market funds and so on. They're earning zero, pretty much, and it looks like that's going to be that way for a long time. What right. do you tell people who come with a certain amount, maybe it's a lump sum from a 401k, and they don't want to take risk, but they've got to earn some kind of a decent return? What kind of advice do you give them? Well, and you had, um, when when we had talked earlier, I, I mentioned my, you know, bucket plan for your bucket list, and, and really a bucket list is really what you want to accomplish in your life. I like the buckets approach because it, it allows me to structure their retirement plan uh, in a five-year, then 10-year, then 15, and then a legacy bucket. So really, there's about four buckets I use, and, and I put the appropriate investments in each one. You know, like you mentioned, a lot of people like to stay liquid, but in today's um, in today's market, liquidity has a real high cost, and that high cost is no no return. And so it's making sure they have enough money to access in that short-term period, but making sure that they're taking advantage of, of those investment vehicles that can work for them if they can allow them to, to percolate, so to speak. Now, you say one of the big challenges for retirement is outliving their income uh, and the effects of inflation. So if your money is sitting there in a CD or money market fund earning zero, you're going to get hit by both. You're not earning any income, and inflation is eating away at your purchasing power. So how do you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, there are 
uh, annuities might be an answer for some people um, that can pay a, a guaranteed income or um, looking at a structured bond portfolio that's a long-term thing, not not bond funds so much because in in this environment you can really take a hit there. Um, but trying to trying to find a structured way to get a reasonable amount of return and and as you mentioned, banks aren't the place to do that right now. In fact, my understanding is banks really don't even want your CD money. They're not putting it out. They're they're just sitting on all this money basically these days. Yeah. So uh, and then just talk about the effects of inflation a little bit because officially, inflation is below two percent. There is no inflationary problem. We're worried about deflation. So you still think there's some inflation out there? Tell me about that. Well, you know, uh, the government measurement uh, of inflation lacks some key ingredients, and, and anybody who says there's not any inflation either hadn't been to the grocery store or hadn't filled up their tank in quite a while. And the, the two biggest expenses for, for most people outside of what their housing costs are are what they eat and their transportation costs, and, and those are definitely going up. Well, I mean, some people say gas prices are going down right now. Um, and, and in fact, food prices, I mean, commodity prices have been falling all across the board, oil, grains, and so on. So some would say that the big problem is deflation now, not inflation, and, and particularly in those commodities you just mentioned. Yeah, I, I will say from my experience going to the grocery store, my grocery bill is getting higher, not lower. Okay. And, <laughs> and you know, gas fluctuates with the market, you know, obviously during um, during times like we're in now the economies aren't aren't doing as good as as people would like and so demand's down so it causes a short-term fluctuation but you know gas gas prices are a lot more expensive than they were you know seven years ago six seven years ago so how does that affect people's uh investment outlook if they should anticipate and you know roughly what kind of inflation rate realistically should people be planning for going forward well, the inflation rate I use in my basic calculations is is right around three point seven percent, and uh, uh, that's just what I found in my experience that that works for me. You know, that, that's not necessarily that's the silver bullet that is the answer. It's just what I use, and it's yeah. worked out for me. Now, you say another risk that people take is both market risk and interest rate risk. So we've seen a period for the until recently relatively low volatility actually in the stock market it's been pretty much going up uh, a right. straight line for about 5 years or so and you say interest rate risk the, the the risk has been how low interest rates can go <laughs> they've been falling further and further all the time so wh- why are there market and interest rate risks in the current environment well when you when you look at that for example uh, let, let's take a sample client i might have that that i met with uh, maybe they they came in to see me the first time in 2008, and they've got you know twenty thousand dollars in Social Security. They got a pension of twenty five thousand dollars, and they got a half a million dollars in CDs, earning five percent. That's generating another twenty five grand a year, and they got a stock and bond portfolio that may be generating another couple three or four thousand in dividends. Um, and and to them at that point, life is okay. You know, life's pretty good. They're doing stuff for the grandkids. They're they're being able to travel, and things are fine. And then all of a sudden, 2010 comes around, and those five percent CDs renew, and you know they're down to one or two percent. And then they renew again because they don't want to lock in a low one. And and when they come in after a year, they're you know they're down to three quarters of a percent or a half a percent. And so all of a sudden, that twenty five thousand dollar a year CD. Uh, 
interest they're getting is now 2500 and they've had a $22,500 cut in pay. Life's changed. And so, uh, you know, what happens to a lot of people or what's happened to a lot of people is they're chasing yield. And so they've, they've, you know, those things have come due and they've moved it into the stock market. And uh, they're taking the risk because they've got to have the yield. So maybe they're buying some dividend stocks and they've seen that go up. But, uh, you know, when free money stops and interest rates start rising, that money's going to come out of the stock market and the stock market's going to go down. And, and there's your, there's your uh, market risk right there. Is so you think the they've been making a mistake overnight? You think they've been making a mistake in taking it out of safe principal things like CDs and going into higher yield stocks and stock dividends because eventually they'll end up losing more principal than they've been earning in the yield. Well, I don't know if necessarily that that's a mistake. They're just doing what they had to do. Um, mm-hmm. They're just chasing yield, and so uh, uh, it's it's important to be able to keep your finger on that pulse and make sure and working with an advisor or working, you know, sitting in front of the computer every day, making sure that if the market does turn on them, that they're not going to see a huge drop in their principal. Yeah. So, so in your circumstance, you've come, somebody's come to you and they've done that. They took their money out of CDs where they were earning nothing. They've gone into, as you put it, chasing yield. What would you advise them to Reverse that strategy, or how would you deal with somebody in that circumstance? Well, we look at, at you know what their overall plan is, and 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 go back to the buckets again. Um, having you know being in the stock market is the best place to be long term. The problem is, is that you know two thousand eight we saw huge drops. Two thousand or you know two thousand one we saw a huge drop, um, and so structuring it, I look at things in terms of a. What's a safe money alternative? What's a moderate risk money? What's a what's a risk money? And find out how to balance that out um, based on what I call the rule of one hundred. Whether you know we take there, it's just a general rule doesn't apply to everybody, but it, it, it's a good general rule. Take their age out of one hundred, and and they ought to have that in in safe and moderate type risk investments, which are you know bonds or uh, annuities, um, whether they're fixed or uh, but some with guarantees, and then have their risk money in, in the market where they can get the yield, but they're not risking everything. Now, you also say that taxes are an important thing. Now, some, some people would say we have amongst the lowest tax rates we've ever had, and uh, on an after-tax basis, people are doing really well here compared to the past. We've got capital gains at 15% for most people. So why are taxes a big issue for most people? Well, for that very reason, they're going up. And so if they're if they're adjusting their their lifestyle on on taxes at the rate they're paying today, then they're going to see some tremendous pain in the future if they're not if they're not prepared for that. Uh, because you're right, taxes are very low right now, but they've already started rising. Do you think politically the, the taxes would be able to go up at the federal level? I'm I'm sorry, I didn't hear your question. Do you think politically? that it will be possible to raise taxes at the federal level? Uh, yes, I do. I, and and uh, I just think Washington is, you know, they, they never look at things in terms of reducing spending. They just want more contribution. And so whether they come right at it or whether they do it in a piecemeal approach and, and kind of pick off the ends and, and work toward the middle, um, uh, you know, this 
that's one way they do it. Or they just add different fees. Indeed, they'll get you one way or the other. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Brad Williams. Uh, His firm is Brad Williams Financial Services, based in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, His website is askbradwilliams.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Brad Williams. He's the president of Brad Williams Financial Services, based in Huntsville, Alabama. His website is askbradwilliams.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Thank you. Good to be here. Another, another big area that uh, people entering retirement are going to have to deal with is health care costs, particularly long-term health care costs. Now, they can buy long-term health care insurance. Uh, they can do this as part of insurance, life insurance programs as far as living benefits. What are some ways that people can uh, assure themselves they're not going to get sunk by long-term health care costs? Well, and you being in this industry, you know that 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 solutions changed quite a bit over the last few years with the uh, price increases in traditional long-term care insurance. Now, for, for a long time, that seemed to be the perfect answer for a lot of people. You know, if they were within a certain amount of assets that, you know, they could take that premium and pay that. But there's some, you know, 20, 30, 40% rate increases on traditional long-term care insurance that we're experiencing right now because low interest rates and, and the fact that, 
policies aren't lapsing, people are keeping them, and claims are longer and more expensive than they expected. And so looking at life insurance is a good way. If someone has an insurance need, it does guarantee uh, their premium and and gives them a way to benefit from that. Uh, There are some uh, fixed annuity contracts that that offer uh, long-term care benefits that um, you know, basically magnifies or or uh, uh, increases what their value is if they're using it for long-term care. Or, you know, self-insuring. There's there's ways to self-insure. And when I sit down with my clients and we're discussing long-term care, I, I always uh, I always say that it's not um, it's not how you pay for it so much whether it's through insurance or not, whether you have insurance or not, but it's where's the money going to come from? Um, you know, so... Uh, Do a lot of people have, have the, the uh, idea that they can just impoverish themselves and get Medicaid and that's not the correct idea? Is that a common misperception? You know, I, I hear a lot less of that than I did in the past. Ten years ago, I heard that a lot. Nowadays, I think people have experienced the reality of that through family members and acquaintances and realized that you know, that's not a real positive way to go. Um, and so if they've got the assets, it's how do they structure it to make sure the costs are covered? Mm-hmm. So, so you don't do these kind of planned impoverishment business where people figure out how to get rid of their assets to qualify for Medicaid, because it's not a great life living on Medicaid anyway, right? No, I, that is, if, if a client asks me to do that for them, I tell them they're with the wrong guy. Uh-huh. Okay, because there is this whole industry out there that helps people, <laughs> what I call yeah. the planned impoverishment business. They, exactly. And the one problem we have in the state of Alabama is we've got some of the toughest Medicaid laws. So uh, they pretty much look at everything as a fraudulent conveyance. So, you know, they're they're going to come back and get it. And uh, uh, so it's, you know, it's, but, but it's looking this at this it. Is this going to be a major problem? Do you get the, what's that? This is, this is going to be a major problem, you think, as people living a long time and not having enough money to pay for long-term health care costs? Uh, I think it's going to be a major problem. And I've been working with retirees, and that's my main focus is pre-retirees and retirees um, for the last 15 years. And as I've watched my client base age and go through those issues, uh, I think it's going to be a significant problem. And I think most people, all they got to do is look around and see their own family as they're getting older and the issues they have to realize they're going to have to make some provisions for and in many cases, it's not just nursing homes. I mean, I think about 5% of the population ends up in nursing homes. It's often home health care aides and assisted living and things kind of not nursing home. People kind of think of long-term care insurance as just nursing home coverage. It's often much more than that. Yes. In, in fact, when you look at the percentages, uh, like you just mentioned, um, of people getting care at home or in assisted living, it far outweighs nursing home. And in fact, a, a long-term care policy for many people is the sole reason they're not in a nursing home. Because mm-hmm. they're getting home health care aids covered. Exactly. That way. They're yes. being able to afford to stay at home, which makes for a better quality of life and uh, you know a happier life. Uh, ideally, if you do this right, what would be a good age where prices are today? to buy a long-term care insurance policy? You know, that has changed for me. Uh, I bought it at age 44 myself, and I'm, I'm 57 now. Um, I've experienced my first rate increase, which is pretty significant. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I still think it, it's as early as you feel you can afford it. You know, business people have some advantages in that they've got some deductibility that, that people who are not self-employed don't have. Uh, so if there are 
self-employed and a business owner, there are um, there's some good ways to pay for long-term care as a as a healthcare benefit and get it out of the way before you retire. You know, with limited pay, although a lot of companies are getting rid of that, but uh, uh, or life insurance contracts. You know, limited pay life insurance contracts. I, I personally think. Um, that the future in long-term care in the insurance industry is probably going to be the, li- the life insurance with the living benefits because yeah. most of your insurance companies have really moved heavily away from traditional long-term care insurance. Now, you talk about a, a problem in the financial world is what you call misinformation, and this is people uh, listening to TV shows and newsletters and analysts all the time. What, what is the problem with that when people listen to so much uh, advice all the time about how to invest? Well, you know, oftentimes the people that are making the reports are journalists, and and they're not coming from a basis of, of working in that area, you know, every day, all year. They are given a story, and they contact a source or two, and they put it together, and they report it. And, you know, oftentimes that's got one side. And there's in the in financial services there is no silver bullet there's no perfect solution whatever solution you use is a series of trade-offs that you have to measure and determine are you willing to accept this downside for the upside and oftentimes those news articles if you know whenever people say well you know I've always heard I should never say buy an annuity for example should I buy an annuity and my my question to them always is well that depends you know what are you looking to accomplish um, and so what people need to do is when they hear something on the news, um, don't take that as gospel. And I, I think especially older people, they're, they're so used to the news industry um, being pretty much gospel that they really don't understand that's changed, that you know, yeah. a lot of people are advocates for certain things. And, and so it's, it's a matter of, of sorting things out and getting all the information, not just a piece of it. In about two minutes we have left, one area you like are preferred stocks, kind of as an alternative. If CDs are yielding well below 1%, preferreds have decent yields. What are some preferreds you like, or do you have individual preferreds or some ETFs? What is the way to buy preferreds for some decent income and safety? Well, I look at, when I, when I choose a preferred, I look at what its yield is, you know, what, what kind of payout is it giving, and, and what about the industry? Um, when you're when you're looking at certain industries that are recession resistant, you know they're good. Um, you know I like public storage. Uh, you know that is a is a growing concern um, because as as people are um, downsizing and you know children are moving from college back into home, they got to store their stuff somewhere. So you know industries like that are are usually good, but. I do it when I when I help my clients. I do it on an individual basis, as far as an individual preferred. I, I don't get a fund or or ETFs in that respect. I mean, some people probably do, and that's fine. It's just that's the way I do it. What kind of yield should people expect from good quality preferreds these days? Well, what I'm looking for is you know in the in the in the five to six percent. Yeah. So if interest, you said at some point that interest rates are going to go up, would these preferreds get hurt if interest rates rise? Well, you know, preferreds tend to um, tend to not be as volatile as as the stock market in general is common stocks. So um, if you're in a good industry and a good company, um, then then you're 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 probably going to be all right. So it's not as much volatility as say a long term bond, which is going to have a much lower yield than five or six percent. Right. Right. Yeah, because you're exactly right. 
and you know a, a preferred if you have to you can get out of it you may have a you know may you may have an adjustment there if if the market's down but uh as you well know when the interest rate environment we're in now is is so low that it's only going to go up and and bonds are are going to take a hit what are some so other unless you're going to uh, hold them to maturity then you know that's there's there's some interest rate risk there what are some other industries that you like preferreds? And you mentioned public storage. Just what are some other industries that are issuing preferreds you like? Well, you know, cell phones, uh, that's only growing. I mean, how many people do you know that still have a landline? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with data being transferred over that, that's that's another one. Um, and, uh, you know, some insurance companies can, can be good uh, good investments in, and consumer goods, you know, because they're, they're – uh, People are going to buy those things no matter what. So insurance companies, storage, you know, uh, some some of those industries. Kind of stable industries, yes. Very yes, good. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, because you're not looking for, for growth here. You're, you're looking for a stable income. You're looking for a stable industry. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Brad Williams. He's the president of Brad Williams Financial Services based in Huntsville, Alabama. You can find out more about him at his website, which is askbradwilliams.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Brad. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.